This podcast contains adult themes and is not intended for children. Listener discretion is advised. If you enjoy this content, please consider following us on Instagram and Twitter at Tales Driftwood. As always, I am your host, Eric, and today I'll be bringing you the fifth chapter of Hyde. Before we get into it, let me remind you of what happened in the previous chapter. Julian had woken up in a blissfully peaceful lakeside cabin, with Horace tending to him. Horace had explained that this cabin was a secret of his father's, and that now that they were safe, he was to never return to Hyde. Julian had began to heal and rehab himself, and began acclimating to his new surroundings, by taking walks around the lake. On one of these walks, he noticed another boy spying on him, so he decided to hit him with a rock. After a brief confrontation, the boys realized that they had a lot in common, and we met Wade Keenan. After talking some more, Julian made the decision to bring him into the cabin. At first, Horace was furious with Julian for bringing an outsider to the cabin, but after a cathartic argument with Julian, he realized that this was something that Julian needed. Upon finding out that Wade's father had been killed by bandits, Wade came to live with Julian and Horace. When we left off, 15 years had passed from the day that Julian had arrived at the cabin, and he was ready to prepare to return to Hyde. So with all that being said, I give you Hyde Chapter 5, Biding Time. The light and warmth of the morning sun beckoned Julian out of his slumber. As he awoke, his eyes naturally squinted against the fire blazing in them. He closed his eyes again. Today was the day. There were no hazy thoughts in his head this morning. No need to try to wake up at all. He was already fully awake and fully focused. He reopened his eyes and sat up on his bed, looking around his room and smiling. Everything in its right place everything ready to go. He walked over to his dresser, took the clothes he had put out the night before for himself, and moved in front of the full-length mirror in the northeast corner of his room. As he began to dress, his mind wandered slightly. Fifteen years. It had been fifteen years to the day since he had stepped foot inside of Hyde. His pants went on first. He was twenty-five years old now. 
No longer a dreaming boy, but a man with a mission. He slid his t-shirt on. Of course, he had already set the wheels in motion for his return to Hyde. He and Wade were going into Belleville today to see what information Max had dug up for them. Julian smiled at himself in the mirror. He was sure that Wade and Max would once again bump heads and have some sort of angry confrontation. Those two were like oil and water. Homemade socks courtesy of Horace went on his bare feet. Even though he had paid Max weeks ago to get the information about Hyde for him, today was the day that Julian got on the road to his mission, to take revenge for his parents, for Hyde, for his life. He and Wade would first stop at Max's, gather up any information he had been able to scrounge up, and then head to a bar where Wade had been able to locate a couple of guys that might just be good enough, and crazy enough, to do what Julian needed them to do. Julian slowly and carefully put on his chain next. On this chain were two things he had taken with him from Hyde. The broken pocket watch which he had been able to bring to a jack-of-all-trades in Belleville and gotten fixed, and his mother's shield angel pendant. He had worn the pendant every day since he had left Hyde, and had added the pocket watch to the chain after it had been repaired. As he put on his long-sleeve button-down shirt and began to button the buttons, his mind was filled with questions. What if Max hadn't been able to find anything? What if the two guys that Wade had found turned out to be just a couple of thugs? Or even worse, cowards? His brow furrowed as he considered the final question. What if Horace finds out what I'm planning to do? He shook his head to clear these negative thoughts. Whatever the obstacle, Julian was determined to return to Hyde right the wrongs which had stayed unpunished for 15 years. He looked at himself in the mirror again and smiled. He wouldn't have been ready at any other time in his life except for right now. He stood at a solid six feet tall, slightly taller than his father had been, and weighed a strong 185 pounds. He had cut his dark brown hair short last week after he and Wade had gotten into a fistfight with some old bandits in town. One of the old bastards had grabbed him by his hair and yanked hard, momentarily throwing Julian off balance before he recovered and planted a straight right to the man's solar plexus, ending the fight immediately. Julian had at that moment determined his hair to be a weakness, so he had cut most of it off immediately. He looked down at his hands and clenched, then unclenched his fists. During the years since his arrival at the cabin until now, he had been able to pick up many lessons in various forms of martial arts. Besides the little scrums he had gotten into as a boy when he had first gotten here, which basically had taught him how to take a punch to the face, he had met several interesting people who were willing to give him lessons in exchange for Julian doing various errands for them. An old Irish man named Will McClinty taught him how to box in exchange for Julian getting him several crates of vitamins that eased the pain of his arthritis. A man named Paolo, from a place which used to be called Brazil, taught him a grappling-based martial art called Jiu-Jitsu in exchange for safe transport out of Belleville. Paolo had gotten involved with some rotten people in the town and had to get out at any cost, and Julian had been happy to oblige. As Julian stooped down to put on the new boots he had purchased last week in town, he smiled as he considered Wade's training. Wade had taken the boxing lessons from McClinty and had even attempted several meetings with Paolo, but he bored very quickly of the jiu-jitsu, 
saying that he wanted to learn something with a little more bite to it. That was when he found Hiroshi. Wade and Julian didn't know if Hiroshi was a first name or a last name because he had never told them. What he did do was teach Wade everything he knew about swords. Hiroshi had been a collector, but he was much more than that. He was a master swordsman as well. Where he had learned all his skills was a mystery as well, but that didn't matter to Wade. All he cared about was getting every last bit of information and technique that he could from Hiroshi. The master swordsman asked only one thing from Wade, that he spend two hours a day with him, washing his dishes, cleaning his house, and doing other odd jobs for him. But most importantly of all, reading to him. You see, Hiroshi was blind. Had been for 20 years. Julian had questioned Wade learning swordplay from a blind man until he had attended one of his lessons and witnessed firsthand the progress that he had made. Besides sword training, Hiroshi had trained Wade to harness the anger that seemed to be constantly bubbling under the surface like lava in a volcano, and used the anger in a constructive manner. Wade's sword strikes had gone from wild, angry swipes in the air to cold, calculating steel on precise points on practice dummies. By the time Wade was 23, Hiroshi had declared him a master swordsman and rewarded him with two twin katanas, which Wade absolutely treasured. Julian walked back to his dresser and knelt in front of it, pulling out the bottom drawer. He carefully strapped on the shoulder holster he kept there and holstered the weapon it carried, a 357 Magnum Ruger Blackhawk. He walked back to the mirror as he grabbed his old army field jacket from the chest that lay at the foot of his bed. He put the coat on over the holster and looked in the mirror at the bulge the revolver caused. No lessons had been given for that harbinger of death. He had simply purchased the weapon from an ex-bandit named Crowley, who no longer wanted anything to do with the life, and had begun to shoot targets in the woods. The gun was old, ancient really, but it still fired well, and Julian admired the old world craftsmanship. Wade had discovered Julian with the weapon in the woods one day, and had declined to use the gun himself, citing the need to perfect his skill with a blade. Julian had somehow been able to keep the gun a secret from Horace to this day, knowing that Horace would steadfastly disapprove of the use of a firearm. He slowly lowered himself until he was sitting comfortably on the edge of the bed. He didn't like deceiving Horace, but it had to be done. Horace would never approve of him going back to Hyde, let alone going back there to destroy the people who took his parents from him. Deceiving Horace was not the thing that troubled him the most, though. It was all the rumors that had been swirling around about Hyde in the past few years. Hyde was a mere 30 miles away from Belleville, yet it might as well have been across the world. People were constantly coming into Belleville, claiming that Hyde was surrounded by a massive wall. The reason why the wall had been erected was for the safety of the townspeople, who it was said were under constant attack by marauding bandits. Backing up these claims were many travelers who had come into the town injured themselves, claiming to have lost traveling companions or loved ones because they had passed too close to the town. Because of this, Hyde had been cut off from Belleville and several other surrounding towns, although there was yet another rumor that Hyde still did business with other towns. As he sat on his bed, deep in thought, hurried footsteps rushed up the stairs to his room. A feeling of deja vu rushed all over him, and he felt a cold sweat start to break out on the back of his neck. 
His head spun to the door of his room as his hand went to the revolver in its holster. The door burst open and Wade entered the room with a big grin on his face. Jules, Jules, Jules! What's taking so long up here? You know if we keep the fat man waiting too long, he's likely to die of starvation. Julian smiled and relaxed, taking his hand away from the gun. You're right, man. Let's get going. He got up and the pair headed downstairs. As they reached the bottom, Horace slipped out of his own bedroom, yawning loudly. Oh, good morning, boys. You seem like you're both ready for a busy day. Julian gave him a smile. Horace, you have no idea. Julian and Wade made their way through the woods toward the spot where Wade always kept his car. The car had been a good find by Wade, abandoned by some travelers on the outside of Belleville after it had run out of gas. It was a pretty old model, beat up, and with over 200,000 miles on it, but Wade had kept up with the repairs and maintenance, and it ran like a dream. As they climbed into the car, Julian frowned. Wade, how much gas do we have left? Wade shrugged. We have enough to last us at least through next week, actually. Crowley's car broke down last week and he doesn't have enough money to fix it, so I bought the rest of his gasoline off of him. Julian stared out of the window as Wade started the car. The town is running low on gasoline, isn't it, Wade? Wade nodded. The town is running low on everything, Jules. The only thing we have a steady supply of is water. Crowley says he's seen the looks that people are getting in their eyes. He used to see it all the time when he was a bandit. Desperation. It makes good people do bad things just to survive. Julian looked from the window to Wade. We should try to do something. Wade chuckled under his breath. <laughs> One thing at a time, Superman. We should focus on the task at hand before you go off trying to save the world. Julian nodded silently and looked back out the window. After several moments of silence, Wade spoke up again. Why do you even care about Belleville? I mean, Hyde was your home, and even when you lost that, the cabin is well outside Belleville. What do you owe it? Julian chuckled. Obviously, you still don't know me too well after all these years. Sure, Hyde is my home, always will be. Belleville gave me tools, though. Thickened my skin. Gave me what I needed to get back to my old home. I can't just stand by and watch it wither away. Wade snickered. Trust me, the last thing Belleville is going to do is wither away. With all the tension rising in the town about the dwindling supplies, it's more likely to go out with a bang than a whimper. Julian nodded in agreement as they turned onto the main road to Belleville and emerged from the woods. As they drove, Wade glanced over at Julian and saw a familiar look on his friend's face. Wade had seen that look thousands of times before, and he knew that when Julian got it, it was best to simply leave him be. Julian was a dreamer, and when he was given time to think, he could make any dreams or plans that he may be thinking about come true. Wade had witnessed that firsthand many a time. So until they pulled up outside Max Laney's trailer, they sat in meditative silence. Wade parked directly in front of the small trailer that Max Laney called home, and the duo got out of the car. Max was a Belleville original, born and raised, unlike most of the population of the town. He held a grudge against most of the people who lived in the town now, who were not town originals because he clung to the memories of what he liked to call the Golden Age of Belleville, which occurred when he was a boy, 
Back then, as he liked to tell it, everyone was an original. The town had everything they needed and more, and the reason why was because the mayor had a strict no-outsiders policy. Once that mayor died and someone new took over, policy changed. The new mayor saw the amount of bandit attacks on the road increasing and opened the doors of Belleville to any traveler seeking refuge. In theory, it sounded like a very noble idea, but it was handled extremely poorly. The mayor was a liberal man with progressive thoughts, but he did not possess the work ethic to make his goals come true. He preferred to simply say things and watch them unfold. As a result of this, not only travelers seeking safe haven settled down in Belleville, but also groups of bandits. There was a small force of men in town that kept people in check in accordance with the laws of the town, but as the number of bandits and outsiders began to outnumber that of this force, they began to implement the rules less and less. Soon bars began to spring up around town, places that were frequented by bandits and other lowly human beings. The town had seriously declined along with their food supply and other important things. Thefts and murders were up and the bar scenes resembled clips of old westerns that Julian had seen in his childhood. As a result of all of this, Max was very distrustful of anyone who was not an original, and Julian and Wade fell directly into this category. Julian made his way up the makeshift stairs to the trailer's door and knocked three times and waited. Nothing. He knocked an additional three times. Still nothing. As he raised his hand to knock again, an irritated voice spoke up from inside the trailer. You're late. Julian looked back at Wade and arched an eyebrow. Did we set up a time with him? Wade rolled his eyes, climbed the steps past Julian, and kicked the door three times. Open the door, you fat tub of shit. We're paying you good money for this job, so don't fuck with us. Wade looked at Julian, who still had his eyebrow arched. You're too goddamn nice sometimes, Jules. If a guy is a piece of shit, treat him like a piece of shit. Julian shook his head. You catch more flies with honey, pal. Wade spit on the ground. Yeah, well, flies are as ugly and useless as Laney is. Julian grinned. Come on, man. Max isn't useless. As far as the ugly part goes, he was cut off by the door of the trailer swinging violently outward. It almost slammed into Julian, but he was able to gracefully dodge backwards, and the door banged against the side of the trailer instead. Here stood Max Laney in all his glory, terribly short at 5 feet 3 inches tall, and terribly overweight at about 300 pounds. He glanced around at both of them and sneered at Wade. Well, well, if it isn't the Wonder Twins. We agreed on 10 o'clock, gentlemen. It's now 10.15. Wade stepped up on the top step and looked at Max. Wade was actually slightly taller than Julian at 6 foot 2 and weighed slightly more than him at 205 pounds, but he towered over Max. Stow the attitude, fatty. I'm sure we're cutting into your eating time, but our business is more important than you trying to drown yourself in gravy. Max glowered up at Wade. For your information, you ape, I was working on a project that holds more meaning than your pitiful life can ever hope to hold. Wade stared back at Max and then broke into a wide grin. You have gravy on your shirt. Max's face went a shade of red that Julian had never seen before, and his hands began to tremble. Julian quickly stepped up onto the step between the two. Take it easy, Wade. Max, I'm sorry if we're late. I wasn't under the impression that I had an appointment with you. 
If you'll just give us what we came for, we'll be out of your way and you can get back to working on whatever project you were working on. Wade was still grinning. From the looks of it, his project involves mashed potatoes and gravy jewels. Max couldn't take any more. That's it. I want you off my steps, you scum sucker. McCoy, you can come in because I assume it's your money that I'm being paid with today. But this worm can go sit in his piece of shit car and bake in the sun for all I care. Wade broke into laughter at this outburst. <laughs> I wasn't going to step foot into this disease breeding ground you call a home anyway, you cow. Julian, you still want us to say Belleville knowing that assholes like this were bred here? Julian was beginning to lose his patience now. Wade, go wait in the car. We came here for a reason, and I intend to get what I came for. I'll get what we need, and I'll be out in a few minutes. Wade mockingly put his hands up in the air. All right, all right, you win. He shot a wink at Max. Have a good one, Max. Try not to die of heart failure before the beauty pageant tonight. I heard you've got a good chance of winning the prize pig award. He snickered and went back down the steps to his car. Fuming, Max turned and entered the trailer. Julian followed on his heels and tried not to look around. He had been in Max's trailer before and had not enjoyed his previous visit. What little room in the trailer that was not taken up by computers or other electronic equipment was inhabited by old bowls and plates of food. Max, I'm really sorry about Wade, he began before the chubby young man whirled and cut him off. We don't need you. I hope you know that. Julian blinked, confused. What? Max sneered at Julian. We don't need you. The town doesn't need you. That animal outside said you wanted to save Belleville? Well, it's scumbags like you that ruined this beautiful town in the first place, so we don't need your help. Julian just stared at Max for a moment as he felt rage start to well up inside of him. The arrogant young man stared right back at him, gauging to see if he had made any impact at all. Julian closed his eyes and then opened them again slowly. Max, let's get on with this. I don't want to be here any longer than I have to be. Max smiled at Julian, revealing some terribly cared for teeth. Finally, we have some common ground. Alright, come right over here and I'll show you what I found. He waddled slowly over to a computer monitor and sat down in a chair big enough to be a couch. He motioned to Julian to sit in a chair next to him, but Julian held up his hand to decline. Max shrugged and motioned to the screen. There is one thing I can give you credit for, Julian. You know where to go for information. No one knows anything about this town. No one but me. Julian rolled his eyes. Yes, Max. I know you're a computer genius, an expert information gatherer. I would have thought your ego would have been sufficiently stroked by the large sum of money I'm paying you for this. Max eyed Julian for a second and then motioned back to the screen. Here we have an overhead image of your precious town taken from a now-forgotten satellite. Most communications with the satellites orbiting Earth were lost years ago when the old government went under. But I, of course, was able to hack it and use it to my own means. He chuckled to himself, clearly giddy at his accomplishment. Anyway, as you can see, the rumors are true. Hyde is in fact surrounded by a great wall. The town now only has two openings in the wall. The south wall, which is the main entrance for the town, and the east wall, which is inhabited by Hyde's self-sustaining military force. 
Julian cut in. Military force? What do you mean? Who runs it? Max let out a dramatic sigh. I mean, men with guns, men with body armor, men who kill anyone who isn't cleared to go into the town or leave it. Julian shook his head. That, that doesn't make any sense. Why wouldn't the people be allowed to leave Hyde? Max shrugged. I don't know, and I don't care. To answer your previous question, though, these men appear to be working for a man named Jeffrey Benedict. Julian's jaw dropped. Benedict? The military works for Benedict? Max nodded. Correct. Apparently, he is the mayor of the entire town, although why he chose to wall his people in, I don't understand. At this news, shock shot through Julian's body, and he sat down hard in the chair that his host had previously offered to him. Max eyed him suspiciously. What in the hell is wrong with you? Julian felt sweat starting to gather on his neck and quickly tried to regain his composure. Nothing. This, this place smells awful, that's all. Lost my balance for a second. Continue, please. Max again sneered at Julian and focused his attention back to the computer screen. Anyway, as you can see here and here, both entrances appear to be heavily guarded. According to my information, absolutely nothing gets in or out of the town without being thoroughly checked by the guards at the gates. They are very efficient, and anyone who tries anything is quickly put down. He motioned at the wide open spaces of land between the woods surrounding the town and hide itself. If I bring in the view for a closer look, you can see these open areas are actually filled with wreckage from various vehicles. Cars, trucks, you name it. The reason for this is that apparently large numbers of bandit groups now inhabit these woods. Anytime a vehicle comes close to the town that does not have the protection of the military with it, these bandits strike, killing anyone in the vehicles and basically stripping the vehicles for anything of value. Max frowned. What doesn't make sense is the fact that Hyde's military operation seems to be bigger than that of the bandits. Why they chose to build a wall around the town instead of simply wiping out their enemies is beyond me. Julian gazed down at the ground, deep in thought. Max took a step forward, and he held up his hand, signaling for him to stop. Max complied, standing there motionless. Long moments passed, the only noise in the trailer being the constant ticking of Julian's pocket watch around his neck. Finally, he lifted his head and smiled at Max. Anything else? Max coughed nervously. <clears throat> well, there is one thing. Julian nodded. Anything you can give me, Max, I'd appreciate it. Max nervously looked out of a window of his trailer. Well, it's not really any extra information. It's more like, well, someone found out what I was doing. Julian arched an eyebrow. What? Max turned his back to Julian, his voice dipping low. Someone found out that I was hacking into the security files for Hyde. Julian jumped out of his chair and spun Max around. You mean you got caught? Max cowardly put his arms up. No, no. Well, I mean yes, I guess, but Julian... Julian was glaring at him. You said you were the best, Max. I mean the absolute best. How could you get caught? I paid you specifically because I thought you could get me all of this information without being caught. Max started waving his arms back and forth frantically. 
Julian, let me go. There's something I have to tell you. Julian stared at him for a moment longer and then backed away. All right, Max, let's hear it. Max was trembling, but managed to sit down in the chair vacated by Julian. Okay, yes, I got caught. But the person that caught me wasn't trying to find me or my employer. He didn't sound threatening or anything like that. He actually said he had more information, information that I wouldn't be able to find from hacking the system or any other way. Julian stepped towards him, not sure of how he felt. On one hand, he was furious that his hacker had been caught. He had intended his return to Hyde to be an absolute secret, and if the mystery person on the inside had tipped off others, that element of surprise would be gone. On the other hand, the information that Max had given him, although useful, had been somewhat superficial. If he could get more information on what the inside of Hyde was really like, he could better prepare himself to infiltrate the city and make a better plan of action on what to do once inside the city. The brief pause from Julian had given Max enough time to collect himself and return to his naturally arrogant state. This is the last thing I'll ever do for you, pal. Don't ever ask me to do you any favors again. Julian looked at him incredulously. A favor? I don't think paying you 200 Isalons is a favor, Laney. Max glared up at him from where he sat. Well, I should charge you even more now that you've both assaulted and insulted me. You ask me to get you information without telling me why you need it, then I get all the information you need, only to discover that the information you're asking for actually puts me in harm's way, a fact you forgot to mention. Max paused for a dramatic effect, to which Julian rolled his eyes and paced the length of the trailer. Then, someone on the inside actually wants to help you, and you get mad at me? The nerve of you. Julian returned to his former spot facing Max. Look, I apologize for grabbing you, Max. What's the guy on the inside's name? Max considered Julian for a moment and then smiled. 100 Isalans more. Julian glared at him. You can't be serious. Max smiled cunningly at him. Oh, I am very serious. Consider this a separate transaction and deal from the one we had just a few minutes ago and blame your short temper for it. Julian took a hold of each of the arms of the chair Max sat on and lowered his head until his face was inches away from Max's. If you don't give me the contact's name right now, I swear to God, Max, I will call Wade in here and let him do to you what he's wanted to do to you since he first met you. Max's eyes bulged in fear at this prospect. Okay, okay, fine. He didn't give me a name. He seemed a little jumpy to me anyway. He said if I wanted to contact him, I needed to go to a bar called The Rut. You know where it is? Julian nodded, never breaking eye contact with Max. Right. Well, once I got there, I was supposed to order a drink called an oil slick. Ever have one of those? Julian simply stared at him. That's it, man, okay? That's all the guy said. He didn't say anything else. Julian nodded, reached into his pocket and tossed the tiny chip to Max with the inscription 20 across the top and Isalan across the bottom. There's your tip, Max. You don't deserve it, but I'll give it to you anyway. Stick around. We may need you for something later on. We'll be in touch. He turned and headed towards the door. 
I don't want anything to do with that town. You hear me, Julian? Max cried out at him as he reached the door. I'm a Belleville original. Don't you forget it. If you came from that town, you need to know something. Everyone has given up on that place, even God. Julian paused as he opened the door, turned, and smiled at Max. God's always got a trick or two up his sleeve, Max, and so do I. As he closed the door behind him, Julian still had the smile on his face as he made his way toward Wade, who was sitting on the hood of the car, sharpening one of the katanas with a whetstone. He looked up as Julian approached, squinting as the sun hit his eyes. Well, what's the verdict, chief? Julian motioned the car. Get in. We're going to need some cavalry. Wade nodded and climbed into the driver's side as Julian entered the passenger side. Julian turned to Wade. Where are we going, anyway? Wade smiled as he pulled away from Max's trailer and set off down the road. A little bar called Hell House. Julian groaned. Hell House? Oh, that's not too foreboding. Thank you so much for joining me for Chapter 5 of Hyde. Next week, we will be visiting a quaint little bar called Hell House and meeting a couple more players in our story. So until we meet again, make your story a good story, and maybe, someday, I'll be telling your story. Be safe out there, everyone. Goodbye.